Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14 and the last phrase in that verse. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Would you bow with me again in prayer? Father God, we thank you. Uh, Lord, you said to pray without ceasing. And so, Lord, we just pause to once again address you directly and say thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us. We pray now that you would open the eyes of our understanding. We can behold wonderful things out of your word. I pray, Lord, that anything I say and any thoughts in my mind uh, would be from you. And, uh, Lord, that, uh, that you would use uh, your word to radically change and challenge and change our lives. And so, Lord, I also pray against our enemy. I thank you that you uh, are greater than he and that, Lord, we can ask you to rebuke him for us, that our minds would be clear, that we could see clearly to, to keep him from clouding our understanding, clouding our mind, and that we would be quick to obey what you show us. And we just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down. Um, I, I need to confess to you that uh, as I studied for this, uh, it was a little bit confusing to me. Um, and and, and I'll, I'll tell you why as we go. I'm calling this Protect What Matters. Because we're talking about the breastplate, right? Y'all with me? Y'all, I need to know y'all with me, all right? Everybody with me? Okay. If you're here, raise your hand. All right, awesome, we're good. All right, so the breastplate, and so it's, it's sort of like a bulletproof vest. I mean, it, it protects the body. It protects these vital organs. Stands to reason, right? You with me that so far? Okay, good. This isn't very difficult. Uh, but, you know, I think of, I, I, for years, as I thought about this, I always thought about it being more or less defensive. In other words, it's there in case somebody gets a sword thrust through or, a, you know, an arrow or whatever, that this breastplate can deflect whatever attack is coming. And that would be true. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that's not true. That's not uh, part of it. It is part of it. But there's a part of this that I did not consider that Paul may have been considering. And I'll tell you why he considered it and, uh, in, in a minute. But, but there's a part of it that that means that it can be an offensive weapon or it's to be used offensively. I mean, if it'll stop a weapon, it probably is a weapon, right? I don't mean you got to pull it off and hit somebody with it, but that might work, but that's not what, he, what I'm talking about. What I mean is that it's a defensive weapon, but the best defense is a good offense. All right, and that's what I want you to take home with you today. The best defense is a good offense, now, I, I, was, I would have asked somebody to come up here and help me, but I was afraid they'd beat me up, so I didn't do it. But, um, uh, no, actually, I just didn't want to make a mess on the pulpit. But I would have liked to have had, like, some sand and, you know, some marbles or whatever. And ask somebody to come up here and attack me. And as they came, I'd just start slinging stuff at them. Well, that's just going to mess them up, right? Most people, I mean, it would. And. Like I said, I was afraid some guy would come up here and, oh boy, now's my chance and really hurt me, so I didn't do it. I'm just kidding, y'all. Y'all are so serious, I'm telling you. Uh, but, but I didn't do it. But in a sense, that's what I want you to get out of this today. I'm just kind of telling you where I'm going because i got to kind of step you into it. So I'm kind of telling you where I'm going so you'll, you'll keep up with me. But what, but what I'm talking about is known as the strategic offensive principle of war. I looked it up, and this is Wikipedia, so, you know, take it for what it's worth. But it says, the idea is that proactivity, a strong offensive action, 
instead of a passive attitude, will preoccupy the opposition and ultimately hinder its ability to mount an opposing counterattack leading to a strategic advantage. In other words, you keep him so busy, he can't think you have more opportunity than he does because he's just defending himself. And so as I read that, I thought about the fact that if I'm wearing a breastplate and I'm just waiting on somebody to hit me, that don't make sense. I know that's bad English. That does not make sense. Or as they say in, oh, brother, where art thou? That don't make no sense. Right? Thank you, Renee. Um, Renee laughs at my, my movie uh, references. Uh, anyway, so this is all through the military. George Washington talked about it. Uh, Sun Tzu talked about it. Other great warriors talked about this whole idea that instead of sitting around waiting on the enemy attack, we ought to be proactive in going after him. Which is the idea here of what this actually means. And, and let me help you understand why. And I, I, I call this the place of the armor. Think about where they're wearing this armor. And you know already, and I'll just re-remind us, that there's Paul chained to a Roman guard or imprisoned. And there's a Roman guard close by him. And he's looking at that armor and he's writing this, this uh, letter to the uh, church at Ephesus. And as he's looking at that Roman guard, he's thinking about what that Roman guard is wearing. And he, somewhere in there, and I don't know where, I mean, we can maybe hear his testimony. If you get to go to heaven, you can, you can ask him, and, and maybe he'll have a class on that or something. How God led me to write the book of Ephesians. I, I don't know, maybe not. But, but I'd be interested to know. But, but, he, but he's sitting there, and it hits him. God says, hey, look, you could, you could kind of counter, make the pieces of the armor part of the gospel and the fight against our, your enemy. And so when you look at it, that breastplate's covering the body. Well, that makes sense. The body is where we live. That's where our vital organs are. Isn't that what we call them? Didn't God give us a natural armor in our body? It's called a rib cage, right? As it breaks, but, but it's there, and it, it can protect us from, from certain blows. I, I remember seeing a film of Mike Tyson back when he was Iron Mike Tyson. And he's in this boxing match, and he hits a guy in the, in the side, just Boom! And the guy just collapses. And I thought, good night. You hit a guy in the chin and jar his brain, he'll go down. But that takes some strength to hit a dude in the body and make him go down, right? Okay, thank you. Ladies are going, I don't know what you're talking about. But the guy's going, yeah, that'd be tough. I mean, you know, it'd be pretty strong. And, 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 And so... This breastplate is covering these vital organs that if you take a hard enough blow in the, in the body, it's going to kill you. And, and, and a hard enough will knock you out and even harder will kill you. As Paul's looking at this, here's what you've got to understand. In their day, and in, in, in the ancient Israel thinking, the heart was the center of your thinking. That was where your mind was, and your bowels is your emotion or your will. So as Paul's looking at this, it's possible, even though I don't want to argue this point too much, because I don't believe God, because they didn't get it, put the wrong thing in the Bible, I think. We're going to talk about the helmet for the mind later. But Paul may have been thinking about the fact of our heart, of our mind, and our will being protected. In other words, how we think and how we act. You still with me? Okay. So how we think and how we act being protected. Because these are the two places Satan's going to attack you. He wants your thinking to be messed up. He wants to hurt your will so you can't act. Last week, I believe it was in this service, I said something about the only only man that was ever born 
with a free will was Adam. And I know Adam wasn't born, he's created, but you get the idea. So Adam had a free will, but he lost his free will when he sinned. And the Bible says that his will became enslaved to sin. And every child born after him inherited sin and was a slave to sin. Now, if you don't get that, you haven't read all the Bible. You've just been listening to people say, well, we have a free will. No, we don't. It's enslaved to sin. The New Testament says that repeatedly. Jesus even looked at it and said, you do the will of your father, the devil. I do the will of my father who's in heaven. And depending on who your daddy is, is how you act. I've got a son who never met my father and he acts just like him. Because he inherited whatever from my dad through me. You following me? You don't have to agree, but are you following me? Okay. So... I said that last week, but I didn't finish the thought. And then I regretted it afterwards. There was a second man born with a free will. His name was Jesus Christ. He was born with a free will because he did not have an earthly father to pass his sin uh, down to him. He was born of a human mother and God the Father. Uh, the Holy Spirit came upon her and the thing found in her was, was conceived of God somehow. And, and Jesus comes into the world with a free will and see the temptation in the wilderness. Satan tempts him. The exact same temptations that he did to Adam. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. And Adam failed. But Jesus as a spirit filled man. Passed the test. And Romans 5 says. So as by one man sin entered the world. And sin passed through all men. So by one man righteousness entered the world. And righteousness is given to all men. And this is the breastplate of? Thank you. Okay, now you're with me. All right, you're with me. Okay, now there's where it got confusing. I was reading a book by John MacArthur about Ephesians. A commentary. He's written a commentary on the whole Bible. Basically a sermon and research. And somebody put it in book form for us. And here's what it and, and And he said something that I didn't agree with. Because here, or at least it confused me. He is talking here about righteousness, correct? Right? Okay, here's the question. Whose righteousness? What righteousness? I know. That's, that, because here's what he said. Is it our own righteousness? Well, of course not. You and I can't be righteous enough, can we? So is it the righteousness of God put on us? Well, it can't be because he told us to put on the righteousness. And you can't put on what God controls. God's got to give it to you. Now I'm confused. Well, what other kind of righteousness is there? Right? I mean, it, it, it can be confusing. Look, look with me. Turn one page in, over. Just turn your page and you'll be in the book of Philippians. If you've if you got an electronic Bible, you're going to have trouble doing that. But the next book is the book of Philippians, and look in chapter 3 of that book. I'm going to pull up my pants leg. I've got an alarm going off. Sorry. Don't look at my skinny leg. It'll... I'm going to make this thing hush, and then it won't, hush. It won't say anything else. Sorry. Nothing, no problems. Everybody, don't be afraid. My wife's probably going, are you okay? Is everything all right? Yeah, I'm good. Um, okay, hour and a half, that'll be good. It won't make any more noise for an hour and a half. Sorry, that's a very expensive computer I strapped to my leg that pumps insulin into my body. If you don't know who I am, I'm a diabetic. So there, taken care of. Sorry about that, y'all. I know that was, I should have gone down there so y'all wouldn't have to look at that leg. But anyway, 
I had, a, I had a young person in another church say, I've seen better legs on a kitchen table. Um, anyway, <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 12 to 14. Now that I've, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I haven't gotten it yet. So his personal righteousness wasn't enough. He hadn't gotten it there yet. In fact, he says, I forget what's behind. I'd like, I, I go back to that because I'd like to inform you of something. That's success or failure. If you're always looking behind you, you can't go forward or you'll run into a ditch. Whether it's success or failure, you cannot make forward progress looking behind you. So Paul says, I forget everything behind me. Whether it was a success or failure, forget that because I haven't gotten there yet. So I keep pressing to that perfection. You see, he knew he wasn't there yet. But Paul also recognizes that there's nothing in him. He says, in me, that is in my flesh dwells no good thing over in the book of Romans. So look back at verse 9 of chapter 3 of Philippians. Philippians 3, 9. And found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so it's not our own righteousness because they haven't got there yet. But it's not God's righteousness, which I, I have it there as imputed. You may not have ever heard that word. It's a King James word. But what it means is charged to, to an account. And the Bible says that we have the imputed righteousness of Christ. Which means he, he charges our account. In other words, it's like this. Probably most of you have a credit card or a debit card or something. Uh, if, 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 almost if you live in our world today, your information is out there on social media. Right? So people get their identity stolen, right? And so somebody takes and goes and charges up a bunch of money on your identity. That's what Jesus did. He took our, he stole our identity of sin and he carried it to a cross and he died there. And he said, here, steal mine. And he gave us his identity, which is what? Say the word, we're talking about it all day. Righteousness, right, exactly. So he gave us his righteousness. But this breastplate is not either of those two things. So now I'm really confused. It's both those things. See how careful I am in the words I'm using? That's real smart, isn't it? No. You see, it is a practical righteousness. It is the practice of righteousness. John MacArthur called it a practical righteousness. Here's what it means. It's a practice based on the imputed righteousness. In other words, I can't gain God in any way by anything I do. God has to give himself to me. Okay. But now that he gave himself to me, now what? There's got to be a change. There's got to be a difference because God has taken up residence in me. In Galatians 2.20... It says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, Christ lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Look with me in the book of James. That's right after the book of Hebrews. In James chapter 2. And listen to what the half-brother of the Lord, James, wrote there. By the way, the book of James is written by the half-brother of the Lord. 
in case you didn't catch that as I said it the first time. James was an apostle, but that's not this James. This is James, half-brother of the Lord. And look in, in verses 18 and following. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You go talk to people about Jesus, they go, well, I believe in God. Here's what you say to that. Well, congratulations, you're as good as any demon. Because the demons believe. Don't mean they're saved, but they believe. So belief in God's obviously not enough. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Did Abraham believe God? Sure. And he proved it by putting Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead. In other words, God has put in you his power and you're supposed to live it out. There's a verse in the Bible that says that we need to work out our own salvation for it is God who has worked in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Notice that word. God put it in you and now by his will and his action you live it out in your daily life. Y'all still with me? Okay, because y'all get quiet and I understand that. I hope you're thinking about it. I just want to make sure you're still with me. So it is a practice that is based on the fact that God is already living in me because in my flesh, I can't do it. But in Christ, I can do whatever he calls me to do. It is a practice that is seen in the sanctification of our righteousness. I used a big word there. Sorry about that. Sometimes I, I write things and I don't go back and change them. And that's one of these cases. Because that word sanctification seems like a big word. But it just means made holy. And so in other words. The sanctification means that I become more and more and more like Jesus. Which is what Corinthians says. For we may be changed every day into the image of Christ. It says we have the mind of Christ. The Bible says that the spirit of Christ lives in us. Right? Right? And so every day we're growing and then there's just going to come a day. You see, going to heaven is not, shouldn't be this sudden shift. Going to heaven ought to be just the next step. That's what happened to Enoch in the Old Testament, right? The Bible says Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. I heard a guy say it this way. He said, one day Enoch and God, as they did every day, we're just walking along talking. And God looks at Enoch and says, hey, Enoch, we're closer to my house than yours. You want to just come home with me? Go, sure. And they just kept walking. That is what death ought to be like for a believer, that we get closer and closer and closer to who God is and, 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 and what he wants of us. And, and I understand, you know, God says, my ways are so far above your, my, your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts, you can't even comprehend me. And, and I get that. But, but as we grow, there just comes this time when it's, hey, it's time to go. See, y'all, I'm taking the next step. And I'm sure there is a bit of a leap there, but, but still it is a, it's a continuation. And so... This, this armor is the daily practice of the righteousness that God has put in us. I mean, the choir sang the song, Power in the Blood. And some of us can't gather ourselves enough to 
do the smallest thing for God. I mean, if God saved you and changed you, it ought to be, something ought to change, right? I mean, if the power that raised Jesus from the dead comes and lives in you, something's got to give. And if nothing gave, then I'm not God, I can't judge, but if I were you, I'd go back and check. Did I truly surrender myself to God? Back in the 70s, there was this guy named Mike Warnke that talked, and he was kind of funny. Somebody laughed. Somebody remember him? Okay, cool. Yeah, Mike Warnke alive. And on that album, he said this, you know, people see the Bible as a book of do's and don'ts. But if you're busy doing the do's, you ain't got time to do the don'ts. And if you could, you wouldn't, so you don't, so it's cool. Right? In other words, if we are busy doing what God has asked us to do with his power in us and learning that from the word of God, not just going, God, what do you want? But looking at his word saying, God, what do you want? Show me. And as God begins to tell us from his word, then we go out and do what he's called us to do. That's what he's talking about. See, when, when we talk about this, that, that offensive action of having the righteousness of God and then using that for me to become more like Christ and, and beginning to live that out becomes an offensive weapon against an enemy that wants me silenced and confused. He wants me to not understand. He wants me not to act. But when I do act with the understanding of the will of God, Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You know the will of God and you exercise your God-given will now that you're saved to do what God's asked you to do. We become an offense against our enemy. And that's why the church is persecuted around the world and not so much here. Because around the world, they live it out. So we live it out. We come to church. You're going to go to work tomorrow too. You want applause for that? Right? Okay, so that's no big deal. What is a big deal is when you take what God said and you apply it into your daily life. Especially in life nobody sees. See, I could say, how many of y'all? Don't raise your hand. Nobody. Raise your hand, please. If I said, how many of y'all have devotions? Most of us would go, yeah, I do, because I don't want anybody to know. You know. But if I sat down with you personally and I said, so, you have devotions? Sure, yeah, of course. When do you have them? Tell me the time of day you have them every day. Well, you know, whenever I get to it, sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the middle, you know, whatever. whatever. Really, what, where in the Bible are you reading right now? Well, you know, I just, uh, usually a psalm if I can find a short one. You know, we try to avoid 119, but other than that, you know, there's some good ones in there. How often do you do it? One day a week, five days a week, seven days a week. See my point? We like to make certain claims, or we don't, or at least we don't contradict those claims when we're all together in church. Remember last week I talked about transparency? And we don't transparently say, hey man, you know what, I'm struggling having this quiet time. See, that's the exercise of your will to say, you know what, I'm going to get up at this time or I'm going to set aside this time during the day. I'm going to read through this book. I'm going to, you know, get this aid to help me understand it if you feel like you can. I'm going to, I'm going to witness, you know, I, I'm going to pick this guy. There's this guy that I know and I'm going to witness. Who are you witnessing to? See, how many of y'all witness? All of us raise our hand. Who are you witnessing to? What's their name? Uh, well, uh, you know, um, Right? And that, isn't that how it really is, y'all? I mean, you don't have to say, you know, you say, yeah, well, my neighbor, but not me, of course, right? See the point? This breastplate of righteousness, we can't claim it 
Unless what God has done in our life is making a difference in our life. That's the point. And that's what I want you to understand. I, I'm not sitting here fussing at you out of any good in me because I'm just like you. I struggle with these same things and I, I need to set aside that time. I need to do these certain things. And I, and, I, and I need to be disciplined and exercise my will to do them. You ask somebody, when do you pray? I always love the answer, well, I pray driving to work. I hope not. Now, I've been in some situations behind the wheel where I was praying, trust me. You know, whether or not to kill that person and guy keep me out of the ditch, one of the two. But, but when I'm talking to God Almighty, I don't want to be distracted. And I get you can pray to God anytime, anywhere, anything going on. I get that. To pray without ceasing. It ought to be an attitude of prayer. And I certainly don't want you to concentrate on God while you're driving. I want you to concentrate on the car in front of you. Y'all didn't say amen to that, but you should. I, you know, oh Lord, bless me. Open your eyes. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, if you start praying, God's going to say, hey, pay attention. There's a car stopping in front of you. I'm being facetious to make a point. Is that really prayer to say, well, I pray going to work every day? I, you ought to pray going to work. I mean, come on. You ought to be in your car saying, oh, Lord, thank you for today. You can be talking to God. I get that. But I'm talking about seriously getting down and getting to know who God is in prayer. It's because we think of prayer as like the heavenly bubblegum machine. I put in a quarter of prayer and I get a bubblegum ball. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation with God so you get to know who he is and what his character is like and how much he wants of you and loves you and knows you and desires for your life. That's the point of prayer. Jesus didn't have to go and beg God for stuff. He just had to say, I'm here to do your will. And as he did it, he knew God would take care of all the details. Right? Isn't that what he said in the Sermon on the Mount? Look at the flowers. Look at the sparrows. You think God doesn't notice them? They, he clothes them, feeds them. Aren't you worth more than that? Don't worry about it. God will take care of it. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this will be added to you. Right? Okay. You don't have to agree. You don't have to even be applying in your life. But just under, I hope you understand. So when we don't do it, here's what happens. It kills our joy. In Psalm 51, when David's praying that great prayer of repentance, he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And I say, restore my salvation. The joy of my salvation. Because when I don't have joy and salvation, I'm not going to live it out. You know, you live out what you have joy in, what you enjoy doing. And if you've got joy in your salvation, you're going to be producing fruit for God. But if you don't, you won't be. And so it causes unfruitfulness when we don't have that kind of joy. There's a loss of reward. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15, Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 3, in case you're taking notes. Paul talks about in, that Christ has laid a foundation, and what you build upon it is what you're going to be rewarded for. And if you build with gold, silver, precious stones, nobody can take that away because fire doesn't destroy those elements. Fire purifies those elements, right? But he says, but if you build with hay or stubble, that's just consumed by the fire of judgment and you got nothing left. And so there are people that are building for this life their castles. And it's, last time I checked, the death rate was 100%. You're going to die. So you can live for this life and have everything you want here, and then you're going to die and leave it all. Or you can be building for the next life, and that'll make a big difference to you in eternity. You see, in Titus 2.10, he 
he talks, he's talking to the slaves there and he says, don't pilfer, don't steal from your master, but give him his money's worth. You work hard for him because when you don't, you steal his glory. And we are slaves of God and if we don't give God 100% of our life, we steal his glory. Or when we do things for ourselves to steal his glory. Or we ask God to bless our efforts, which is blasphemous. And when we set up an altar of our ideas, that's idolatry. So what in the world are you going to do this week? Well, first of all, bring every thought captive to Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Now that God is in your life and, and controlling your life, bring your thoughts captive to Him. Make sure that what you are about is about God. And when your mind wants to go to other things, bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. You can read that whole passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, but verse 5 is the one mentions taking your thought captive. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above. That's one way you bring those thoughts captive. Set your mind on things above. There used to be a saying that people enjoyed. And for a little while, I kind of even believed it myself. Well, that guy's just so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Friend, you can't be any earthly good if you're not heavenly minded. According to Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Because that's where your treasure is. Here is temporary. Listen, you can be Bill Gates or Donald Trump or whoever other billionaires are in the world or gazillionaires or whatever they are. Shahs of, uh, or, or, or some kind of uh, oil sheik over in the Middle East somewhere and have all the money in the world at your disposal. And you're going to die and leave it all. Woo! But the Bible says that God is using the evil of the world to build up treasures for saints to inherit. That's why he said the meek will inherit the earth. Not to work for it. He's going to give it to me one day. So I hope you go to work tomorrow. God bless you. I mean, we ought to work for our living, but we shouldn't set our mind on earthly things because the things here are pointless. Like the guy wanted to... Take something to heaven. He said, God, can I bring something to heaven? He said, no. He said, come on, please. Just. He said, all right, I'll let you bring something. So he, went, he, he, he loved gold. He'd been, you know, he'd been listening to the radio commercials, so he'd been investing in gold. He had a bag of gold. So he took the gold to heaven, and they looked at him and said, why'd you bring pavement? <laughs> Set your mind on things above. And thirdly, get dressed. Get dressed. <laughs> Many years ago, when I preached on this when I was a lot younger, I called it Naked Christians. Romans 13, because we don't put on the armor. Romans 13, 12 to 14 says this. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness and put on, catch this, the armor of light. King James says the, uh, uh, I forget what it says, uh, but it literally means weapons or armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarrels, and jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. In the Old Testament, if you took somebody else's identity, you made a covenant with them, and you would take each other's identity. And in the Old Testament, the greatest example is Jonathan and David. Jonathan had one of only two suits of armor in all of Israel. There are only two suits of armor in the Old Testament uh, under Saul and, and, and uh, before that. 
Only two. And Jonathan had one and, and Saul had one. And Jonathan gave his to David and said, hey, when you become the king, because I get the whole picture here, you're going to become the king and I'm going to be done. But when you become the king, remember my family. Here's my armor. And, jo- and David took on Jonathan's identity when he put on that armor. It was a covenant he made. And you know the story. So David becomes king and he has to fight all these fights. And then he finally wins. And he's undisputably the king of Israel. And he says, is there anybody from Jonathan's house left? And they said, there's this one little guy named Mephibosheth. And he's crippled because when you were becoming king and people were fighting, his nurse to protect him was running with him as a baby and fell and crippled him. And he's crippled, but there's one left. And he said, bring him to the king's house. Seat him at my table. And the Bible says, and from then on, he sat at the table of the king and ate. David is Jesus. And we are that crippled fella, crippled by sin. And David, putting on the armor of Jonathan, identifying with Jonathan, Jesus putting on human armor came and he won the battle so that he could bring us to the king's house and seat us at the table so we could eat forevermore.